son had a birthday uh, this week, a few days ago. Colin turned nine years old. So you can imagine that's a time of joy, so you think. Um, and it was. Uh, but it had a bit of a sort of negative effect on me. Um, for the last few days, I've been kind of sent subsequently into this really <laughs> sentimental spiral. Uh, and I've been reminiscing about when I was uh, about that age and when I was young. In particular, I've been thinking of a birthday that I had when I was maybe a little bit older than Colin. A birthday I had when I was about 11 or 12 years old. You know how some days in your childhood really stick in your mind and very vivid? That's what it was like for this birthday. Um, relatives of mine from the US had come over and uh, they were about, they came to my parents' house on the morning of my birthday, so there's a few few people around my house, let's say 12th birthday, and these American relatives, they pass me the present. And of course, you know, I'm excited, I'm a 12-year-old boy, and rip open, the, you know, all the wrapping, I open it, and whoa, lo and behold, here's a pair, shiny new pair of trainers for me. So I'm uh, delighted with this, and I smile, and I thank uh, my relatives, and then I do what any 12-year-old boy would do, and I move on to the next present, and I unwrap that, okay? Now, as young as I was, I remember realizing that my American relatives expected a little bit more from me. You know, I realized, uh-oh, they expected more joy and more kind of uh, uh, gratitude from me. There's something not quite right here. I remember thinking that. And it wasn't until a few hours later that I realized what the problem was. Because a few hours later, I went back to this pair of trainers and I realized what they were. These were what were called Reebok pumps. And I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I mean, these things were not just exclusive. You couldn't get them in the UK at this point. They were expensive. I mean, these things, you can inflate the tongue. You can inflate the heel. And it hit me. Ah, that's why they were looking for more gratitude from this ungrateful Scottish wretch. If why tonight begin us up with such a tale as that? It is simply to lay this question before us. Are you and I as Christians not similarly guilty when it comes to the work of the Lord God in the gospel? See, how do we frame the gospel? How do we think about the gospel? How do we speak about the gospel? We talk about, oh, Jesus saved us and, and, and Jesus has opened the door of heaven for us. But isn't it true that if we were just to spend and linger, spend some time, pause over the magnitude of the cross, the mag, the extent, the scope of what Christ has done. If we were to linger on that a little bit more, isn't it true that greater gratitude would rise up in our hearts, gratitude towards the Lord God? Well, that's what we're going to do just now. Because I want us to look at these verses, Genesis 3, 17 to 19. I do not just want us to look here at the desperate depths of sin and the fall. No, I want us from there, from those depths, to look up to see the beautiful, majestic extent of what Christ has done for us. Tonight, do you know what I want us to consider? The great gift from God. 
So if you've got your Bibles open, Genesis three seventeen and 19, let's look at one or two things. The first thing that I want us to think about from Genesis 3 is Christ's redemption of creation. So Christ's redeeming work, his redemption of creation. That's the first thing I want us to think about just now. <clears throat> I am, although I don't know some of you in here, I'm going to make a bold assumption, and that is that we are all familiar with the context that we're dealing with in Genesis chapter 3. Yes, we know what's happening. We know that God has created the world and created it good. What has man done? We know that Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit and the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And if you have been here over the last number of weeks, you know exactly what's happening at this point. What has God done in the immediate background, friends? First of all, he's gone to the serpent, hasn't he? Then what happens? Remember last week? How can we forget last week? God goes to the woman and he issues penalties, punishments for sin. So there's the back. Now, here, right tonight, God, he's spoken to the serpent. He's spoken to woman. God now goes to man, goes to Adam. So what does he say? Well, you've heard of Stephen Fry, right? Stephen Fry, everyone knows Stephen Fry, do we? Talk show host, infamous atheist Stephen Fry. Well, Stephen Fry has gone public about the fact that he says he hates this section from 17 to 19. Hates it. And he tells everyone who will listen why he hates it. He says he hates what he sees as a lack of proportionality. A lack of balance. And Stephen Fry says, look, from this, God punishes all of humanity for all of eternity. And what's the sin? According to Stephen Fry, he says, all man has done is taken a bit of fruit and had a, a munch from a bit of, a bit of fruit. God punishes all of humanity and all this is just taking a bite from an apple or something, right? Now, is Stephen Fry correct? Is that the sin? Is that all that we're dealing with here? Have a look with me, would you please? Look at verse 17 and look at the start because God shows you the grounds, the foundation, the basis for all of this punishment on, on Adam. Do you see it? What does he say exactly? He says... Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten. Do you, do you see it? What's the first sin here? What's the problem here? Is it just, oh, he happened to have a bite? No, no, it's disobedience. Isn't it? That's the big sin here. That what man has done is listened and obeyed someone else rather than rejected God. Reje listened, obeyed his wife, rejected create his creator. Man is infinitely condemned here because he has disobeyed an infinitely holy and righteous God. That's the sin. Let's get it right. But what's the upshot? How would you answer that tonight? What's the, like, what is the result? If man is disobeying God, his creator here, what would you say? What happens in this section? Would you say, well, Andy, uh, man is cursed uh, because of his sin. Is that, how, is that how you would frame it with me tonight? Is it man is, well, you know, the answer to that is yeah, but, but not really. Because look at halfway through verse 17 and look how God phrases things. Look at it. Halfway through verse 17. Is man cursed? Well, look, 
Cursed is the ground because of you. So you see it, you following me, it's actually the land, is actually the earth that receives the penalty and the punishment. Man is cursed, yes, but through the ground being cursed. Now, here's the deal. In a moment or two, we're going to think about what that means for your life tomorrow and this week. But here I want us to just think about what this means for this very earth that we inhabit here. See, um, I think I mentioned this before to you, but last year um, I was doing a bit of DIY on the house in Woodford. And anyone who knows me knows I hate doing DIY. <laughs> Absolutely. But my dad was down visiting. And there's something about dads and DIY that they get you involved and enrolled in DIY. So there is myself and my dad, and we're taking a mirror out into the back garden. And the plan was we're going to put this frame around it, clean up the mirror, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to hang the mirror. And if my dad was doing that by himself, it would have been absolutely perfect. But he wasn't. I was helping. And I had a screwdriver, <laughs> I think, in my pocket or in my hand, I can't remember. You know where the story's going, don't you? And the mirror was on the ground. And of course, somehow I managed to drop the screwdriver onto the mirror. And everyone knows what happened next, right? Isn't that what happens? The mirror, in a second, oh my dad's heart, in a second, it smashes. It just goes every, completely ruined and smashed. Now, I'm saying what I'm desperate for you to appreciate is that that is what you're dealing with in Genesis chapter 3. That here, in a split second, because of man's sin, this earth we inhabit shattered. This earth, this land, this creation here, because of sin, and from this point onwards, it is fundamentally changed in a profound way. And I just want you to to highlight, I want you to notice a couple of elements about the change. Do you notice that this earth changed in appearance? Look at verse 18. God says this, he says, from now on, because of your sin, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. Now do you see that? Think about that. Previously, there was nothing in the Garden of Eden that was unsightly. You with me? Nothing in the land on this earth, nothing in Eden that was in any way ugly, and it changes here. Bang! All of a sudden, there are ailments of this earth that are ugly, disgusting. It changes in appearance, but there's something more important. Because look at the next two words in verse 18. Thorns and thistles... It shall bring forth, next two words, for you, thistles, thorns, for you. So do you see it? From this moment on, creation became hostile to humanity. That a result of the curse is not just that this earth, the land, eh, that this creation was ugly or in the bondage to decay, as Paul would later say. Do you see that from this point on, there was something aggressive towards mankind about humanity? It was now 
creation antagonistic to all of isn't that something we see even in the typhoons and in the philippines something we saw in the storms in the eastern seaboard of america is creation now hostile against mankind and if you are with me maybe now you you think isn't this utterly awful to consider genesis chapter 3 because do you see what it means for us it means that our very hope we're inhabiting just now our very home by its nature is our enemy and maybe we from there ask is it always god going to be like that nature warring against men and women is always going to be like that well i want to remind you of our theme tonight do you remember the start of the sermon there is a great gift from god And you know what God has done, do you not? God has subsequently sent his son into this earth. And what has the Lord Jesus Christ done? What happened at Calvary? Do you understand what happened? The Lord Jesus, in his death, he bore this curse. All of the effects. He overturned this curse, this sanction, overthrew it, reversed it all, wearing in his humiliation... A crown of thorns upon his head. And think of that, Christian friend. Because what is the implication? What does that mean for you and for me? Because of what Christ has done for us, one day you and I will inhabit a liberated creation. I, for one, am enthused about that fact. One day you and I are going to live in a world that is entirely and utterly free from sin. We are going to live with the Lord Jesus Christ in a place that is entirely fit for, and praise God, a place that is at peace with the people of God. So we see Christ's redemption of creation through this uh, chapter. A second thing we see here is Christ's redemption of our work, of our work. Uh, hopefully you're all with me. I know it's late. I know it's Sunday night, so forth. Long day. But you're with me that creation is set against and it's hostile to us. I want to just drill into that a little bit, just a little bit deeper. What does that mean for you or for me that this earth is antagonistic towards us? What does that mean? Um, if you're visiting... Uh, I can say this to you, that I, I'm always banging on about uh, devices that God uses in the Bible to emphasize points. So uh, perhaps the congregation are, are sick of me talking about devices, but I will maybe talk about what's called an inclusio. Talked about that. So that's where God begins and ends a section of Scripture in exactly the same way in order to underline or emphasize a point. So an inclusio or parallelism where God will stick two phrases one after the other to expand an idea, right? So literary devices. If I was to turn that over to you, what would you say maybe is the most obvious example of a device that God used in the Bible uh, to underline something for us? Like, if you had a moment or two to think about that, you'd probably come back and say, Andy, repetition. Isn't that right? Like, if you're reading the Bible at home, 
or in church and you, you see a phrase that's repeated or you see a word that's repeated, what do you do? Immediately zoom in on it, don't you? God is underlining it through emphasis. Right, boys, you've got to listen and a couple of, oh, one girl. Um, I'm talking about what? Repetition. So I want to know this. When I read out the, the verses earlier on, did you notice what word is repeated in verses 17 to 19? I wonder if any of the adults got it. I will perhaps help you all out. Um, five times in three verses, God repeats the word eat. The verb to eat. So five times. Now, think about the question we are asking just now. We're saying, how is the world antagonistic to us? And then, listen, uh, let me read just a couple to you. Listen to this. God says, because of sin, because of the fall, in pain you shall eat. Now, here, uh, read another one. Now, listen to it again. God says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat. So is everyone on the same page? Like what way is the earth hurting mankind? Isn't it true that from this point on, we see that the earth will oppose the daily provision of food? Isn't that what Genesis 3 is teaching us? You know, see that idea of this glorious work that was done in the Garden of Eden. That's gone. And what happens now because of sin? You and me toil. That's it, isn't it? That here, from this point on, mankind goes into this endless, seemingly, cycle of misery where mankind throughout the world, on a daily basis, struggles to make ends meet. People, maybe he's ringing bells with you, is it? People laboring to provide for themselves, laboring day in, day out, toiling to provide for the people they love. That's what we're dealing with here. Now, if we had more time, we could think about the extent of the depths of that penalty from God. Because you think about it biblically, what was man created to do? He was created to be a gardener. He was created to cultivate the lands. And now the land is opposing all of that. Do you see how the penalty gets right to heart, the function of what it means to be a man? But we don't have time to do that. But this is what I want to do. I want to take you by the hand. And I want to take you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to give you three bits of great news. Really good news. Ready for the first one? Friend, the Lord Jesus understands this. He comprehends. See, maybe it is the case tonight that as you sit here in church, this is a big deal for you, is it? Is work a nightmare? Is it? The daily tasks that you have to do, the relationships that you have at work, the fact that you cannot find work, all of it, misery, the struggle and toil. Well, if you are a Christian, now I ask you this. Do you sincerely bracket time over to pray about those issues? Because you follow me on this. Who do you have in heaven at the right hand side of the Father? 
And you say back to me, we have a great high priest, Andy. But I say to you, what has he done? You have someone in heaven who was a carpenter in Nazareth in the first century for about 18 years. You understand that you have someone on your side in heaven, in glory, at the right hand side of the Father, who wants to intercede for you. Someone who understands work. Someone who understands the misery of work. Understands poverty and sweating. He gets it. Should we not give ourselves to be about our work situations? Christ comprehends. That's the first one. I said three. Second one is this. Christ Jesus brings consequence to our daily work. I love this thought. I do. Because isn't it true that one of the greatest elements of the gospel is the meaning that God has now given to our life. I mean, isn't, aren't you with me on that, Christian friend? Like before we were in Christ, what were our lives really? Outside of Christ, it was just this meaningless drag we were doing. We could not act in any way for spiritual good outside of Christ. Now what happens? Now by the grace of God, what can you do? You can listen to the words. You can now bring glory to God the Father. Isn't that epic? You can do that as a Christian. And it's an amazing thing. But isn't it motivation? Just think about what can happen tomorrow. We go and we hit our daily tasks and we hit all of this work and we hit it with dignity. We hit it with honor and integrity. And what happens tomorrow? We can bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that provide incentive, motivation for our daily tasks? And then the third one here, if Christ brings consequence if he comprehends the third's the best of the lot christ jesus he brings comfort i want to hear one phrase listen to the phrase what will happen in that glorious liberated creation that we've just described what will happen in that new heavens and new earth christian friend you will find rest and isn't that needed and isn't it the most delightful thought when we think about our labors and toils we shall one day enter true rest and then it hits us doesn't it how can we possibly sinners such as you and me how can we possibly have rest from with god and you know the answer don't you all through the toiling of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. The toil and the work he has done on Calvary Hill. All through the sweat that was on the brow and the face of the Lord Jesus Christ at Gethsemane. Because of what he has done. His toiling, his working. We will, we will be at rest one day with God. So Christ Christ's redemption of creation, Christ's redemption of our work. And then we end with a last thing, third thing. Christ's redemption of you and me, his people. I know that some of you in here love music. For those who do not love music, 
Perhaps you will permit a very short musical metaphor. I want you to understand, I hope that you do understand that in these penalties and punishments here, the dynamics of the penalties are not constant. Everyone with me? So in Genesis 3, from 14 to 19, to the serpent, to the woman, the, to the man, the volume level is not at this constant level. I hope you understand that there is this divine crescendo that's been building up. You everyone get that? God starts, we could say softly, he starts with the serpent, he starts quietly, and then God turns up the dial, <laughs> and the volume of the penalties, it builds up through the serpent, what's said to the serpent, and then the volume, it builds up again through the woman, and then it's just deafening these penalties, this crescendo when it gets to, to the man. You see it? There's this crescendo of punishments. If you follow that, do you realize where we get to in verse 19? We get to the end of the symphony. We get to the pinnacle of the consequences of the fall. The crescendo that's been built up, it reaches its peak and there's symbols and there's timpanies and there's this deafening last chord because what is the end of it all? God says to man that man shall surely die. That Adam and all of his progeny in direct fulfillment of the promise that God had given earlier on to anyone who would eat the fruit, the man will return to the dust from which he was formed. Is it death? It's death. But it's physical death and it is spiritual death. Now again, I think if we had longer to do this, what we would do naturally, I think, by our just our very experiences, we would linger in the horror of this Because I look around and I know some of your lives and I know this almost for sure, that nearly every single one of us has been touched in this direct way by this. We know and feel the horrors of death. We know it, but guess what we're going to do instead? Instead of lingering on that, we must go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I turn it over to you to think about it. What has Christ Jesus done for you, Christian friend? Do you remember the start of the sermon? Do you remember what Adam failed to do? He disobeyed God. And yet what did Gabriel read out from Romans 5? What is the glorious thing about the Lord Jesus coming into this world? What has Christ done for you? He has obeyed God in your place. He has done what you are unable to do and he's lived in perfect obedience to God and to what extent he's obeyed God even to death and even to death on a cross and maybe this evening you're sitting there saying so what I've heard before Christ Jesus has obeyed so what but do you not see it what is the case now for all in here who are united to Christ by faith what is true for us the curse of death has been undone. Do you listen to me? 
So you might think of the people around you in this room just now, that they do not look any different to the people out there in the street. Maybe we think we don't look any different to the people of London. I have news for you if you think like that, that you look, if you're a Christian, entirely different to God. Because tonight, as you're sitting here in London City Church, if you are a Christian, you are dressed in immortality. Really that you do not face spiritual death if you are in Christ Jesus. You are spiritually immortal. Now, if Christ has borne your sin, you're united to Christ by faith. Is that you? Christ has borne your sin. He has died for you, and now he has risen, and you have risen with him. What is it that Paul says? What does he say later on in the Bible? For you, Christian friend, Christ has abolished death. He's not frustrated it. He's not opposed it. He's wiped out your spiritual death. The wages of sin, death. But what was that? The gift of God. What is it? The gift of God. Eternal life for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not reason for us to rejoice? And I am with two things. First, to you, the Christian in here. I wonder sincerely if tonight, God, by his grace, has reminded you of something of the scope and the scale of the gospel. Has he? If so, I plead with you to allow that to lead you to greater gratitude to your creator. Our lives are scarred with ingratitude as Christians. But I'm saying, right now, be grateful, God. And in a minute, we're going to sing. Lift up your voice and sing praise to God. As you go into this week, spend more time simply thanking God for all his grace to you in Christ Jesus. Praise him. But if you are not a Christian, I want you to hear this. There is relief and release from the pain, the tragedy, the horrors of this life. And I think in your heart of hearts, you know where that release is found. What is it that the Lord Jesus Christ says? In Matthew eleven twenty eight? we repeat it all the time, but I believe he proclaims it to you in the gospel. Listen to this, if nothing else. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what is the promise of the gospel? The Lord Jesus Christ and he alone will give you rest. May it be that we all this evening go to Christ with thankfulness for his work. May we respond with gratitude to what is surely the greatest gift of all the cross of Calvary. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, our God, we can not but confess our sin when we read Genesis 3. We realize so clearly it was Adam who sinned, but we were there. 
we realize that it is our nature that we'd also disobey, that we reject you, our creator and holy God. And so we are filled tonight with gratitude for sending your very own son to die in our place. We thank you for the great accomplishments of Calvary, that through Christ this very earth will be one day renewed. We thank you that you have infused our work with meaning. We can work for your glory. And we thank you that even now, in here, in Christ, we live with eternal life. Lord, we praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.